All down. All silent. Going, going, going. Go on, Congratulations. Welcome to the Current Market Insights Podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. Each episode, we chat with real estate author and industry leader, Peter O'Malley, to discuss the current property market conditions and provide insights to assist you on your property journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Current Market Insights. I'm your host, Kieran O'Brien. And as always with me this week is my good friend, Mr. Peter O'Malley. Peter, hello. G'day, Kieran. Great to see you. Great to see you, Peter. And as always, great to sit and chat about what has been in the week of real estate. Uh, I'd love to start this episode this week just getting a bit of a recap. What have we learnt this week? What have you seen out there talking to people on the hustings? What's your general sense of, of how the market is going locally for us? Second big auction weekend of the year, Kieran. So everybody's trying to get a good read on where the market is at. If we go to the Sydney auction clearance rate, they came in at 59.1% on SQM Research's numbers. That's a pretty healthy result because SQM Research do factor in all the unreported results from the weekend and capture them by the following Tuesday. The results were so strong, in fact, the auction clearance rate was so strong, in fact, that Louis Christopher, who's the CEO of SQM Research and had one of the more pessimistic perspectives on the Sydney property market for 2024, was really surprised at how strong results were to the degree that he said these were strong results for Sydney over the last week. The Saturday clearance rate was actually 60% on our numbers. We were recording clearance rates higher than this time last year and on stronger volumes. If this keeps up, our forecast for modest housing price falls in Sydney will be wrong and the housing market may rise at a faster rate than 2023. What I would say we saw here in the inner west, Kieran, we saw a lot of auction campaigns that were postponed due to insufficient buyer interest you would imagine, and redated for February 24 or the 2nd of March. So I think it would be too early myself to jump to the conclusion that the Sydney property market is going to outperform for 2024, particularly given the auction clearance rate is slightly skewed by the amount of auctions that were postponed due to insufficient buyer interest. So a couple of things to to talk about out of that data, Peter. You mentioned the overall clearance rate around 59% or almost 60%. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, did we report last week that it was 54 or 55%? So it has actually increased in the week correct, that we've seen? Correct, yes. And that was also, I think we said, on numbers of 700-odd uh, properties going to auction, which was an increase of maybe three or 400. So it's uh, it, it's pretty clear we're seeing higher clearance rates and much higher volume than we have seen in the past 12 months Oh, that's right. Volumes are up, as we alluded to, and that's coming through in the data. There were 731 auctions scheduled, 83 were rescheduled. So Louis does capture the postponed auctions. So if you're looking to put a number on it, over 10% were postponed. Of, Of those remaining, there was 215 that sold prior to auction and 217 that sold at auction under the hammer. So again, another consistent trend from last year where it's a clean 50% selling prior to auction and 50% selling at auction of those that are considered auction sales. Yeah, certainly uh, certainly strong numbers to start the year and, and you can see why Louis has started to adjust his predictions. I wonder, the postpones that we are seeing, 
Do you think that is a measure more of the fact that there is such a high volume on the market at the moment? Definitely. Definitely. Or, or could it also be related to the fact that there are some potentially opportunistic sellers, you know, running with the, the frenzy or not the frenzy, but the, uh, I guess the, the heat of what's happening at the moment and this, this observation that it is such a strong and, and active market. Are people jumping on when perhaps they're not priced right or they're not ready for market and, and are just trying to ride the wave? I think a lot of people looked at the headline price growth for 2023 of 11% for the year and said, hey, that looks pretty good. We're going to jump on board early in the new year there. The market is uh, has enjoyed some good growth that I'd like to get the best of it. What that misses, of course, Kieran, is that the auction clearance rate and the market at large really struggled after the November rate hike. What you've seen here in the first six weeks of 2024 is a lot of listings that have come to market uh, at an unusually early time of year. And those auctions that were postponed, the agents, fair enough too, have, have, have made the assumption that they're better off holding off a little bit longer to let that sort of excess stock that's come to market work its way through the system, if you like. And if we don't see another surge of, of listings coming onto the market in the next 10 days, that's absolutely the right strategy. But if we get another wave or another surge of unusually high listing activity, that will then turn out to maybe be not such a smart smart call because you would suspect the market will be under su- sustained pressure from there as buyers are faced with uh, an excess of listing options. Do you think it would be reasonable to assume that if the RBA next time they meet hold rates again, which you know may, may be a reasonable uh, assumption at this point, do you think it would be reasonable then to assume that other potential sellers who are sitting on the sideline at the moment waiting may view that as, a, 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 I guess, a, a sign that they could move forward with their sale knowing that the market is, is holding, potentially improving and is not likely to go backwards, which would traditionally happen with a rate rise. I think the RBA's movements with interest rates or, you know, even if they hold, their decisions with interest rates are actually secondary now for households. What's more important is what is happening with individual households, budgets and finances. And by that, I, I mean that the a lot of people have had their mortgage reset in the last six months and it's easy to pay the first two or three mortgage repayments at the higher rate. But as those mortgage repayments get out to six, nine, 12 months at the elevated rate, you may have been paying a mortgage rate of two or two and a half percent and suddenly you get dropped off and you're being asked by the bank to pay 6.25%, that's a really big change in your finances. And as I say, you can hang tough and waiting for the rate cuts, but if they're not forthcoming, the pressure builds on on, on finances there, particularly at a, at a time of cost of living. So I think what the RBA do as far as holding or increasing rates, the damage or for some people, unfortunately, is already baked in. And the only thing that would rescue people who might have finances on a knife edge is rate cuts. I'm glad you mentioned the term baked in. I read something this week, uh, a comment relating to real estate agents and economists and how they're discussing the possibility of, of imminent or, or you know very short-term rate cuts and how that's potentially... That was Laura Jays on Twitter, yeah? Yeah, correct. Having and how a that's... shot at real estate agents correct. predicting there'll be two rate cuts this year. Co- correct. But interestingly, uh, predicting that the language used by agents and, and perhaps some economists is deliberately geared to subtly entice buyers to bake in these rate cuts so that they can be a little bit more active in the market. Do you think that's a real problem? And do you think that, 
you know, do you think agents are smart enough to think that far ahead and say, you know what, we should we should run the long game here and try oh, and manipulate people? I had a buyer's people's. agent say to me last week that she's advising her clients to take her buying clients to take advantage of this indecision in the market because once they do cut rates later in the year, it'll it, it, it's going to race again. And when you look at the post that Laura Jay's put on Twitter there or X. Uh, as as it's now called, I guess, you, you got the sense that a real estate agent had said that directly to Laura Jays and she took issue with that, which is fair enough. There's no doubt that seasoned economists are calling for rate cuts at the moment, so there's no need for a real estate agent to go out and make a call and put that call on their shoulders in trying to entice a home buyer to purchase a property or bid on a property the more intelligent uh, and, and right way to do it is to show home buyers this is if you're a real estate agent is to show home buyers a range of forecasts as to what other economists or economists in the market think will happen with interest rates but we are not economists here and we have an interest in economics but we've never said this is what the rba will do or won't do because a we're not the rba and b we're not economists. So I think all consumers need to be really wary out there when a real estate agent who is a realtor paid by the vendor to get the property sold for the best price they can tries to induce you into buying that property by telling you that finance will be cheaper later in the year. Yeah, really uh, really good points. And I think it's it's important and I'm glad you highlight that people do need to exercise a little bit of caution. And, and we've talked about this in so many other ways on the podcast. They need to do their own research. They need to make sure they've got a, a group of trusted advisors they can turn to to get extra help as well. Real estate agents are friendly. They are not your friends. It's true. I do want to touch on just very briefly before we move on. You did mention that Louis has talked about adjust or potentially adjusting his forecasts. Given that SQM in particular has been really quite accurate over the last few years with their forecasts, do you personally take that as a bit of a sign that uh, the market may be performing better than Louis had predicted, or uh, do you think that he's he's just opening up the idea that he may need to rethink his position? Look, we're not going to, on this podcast, dissect the market nuances this deep all year because, A, it'll be incredibly boring and, B, there's no real need to do so. The reason last week and this week that we're really drilling down into what is exactly is happening in the market because early in the new year after a four- to six-week break of uh, auctions, of meaningful listing activity on market, of, of transactions being done everybody, including ourselves, is really keen to know where the market is at at the moment. And uh, unsurprisingly, there's conflicting signals. So I, I, Louis has not changed his forecast. He did qualify it by saying, if this were to keep up, I would suspect that Sydney property will have a better year than I anticipated. But I would question whether, particularly with a postponement rate comfortably over 10%, which is what was recorded last weekend for for auctions, I would really question whether the 60% clearance rate can sustain itself in the market. If it does, it does, and I'm happy to say, there you go, what a surprise. But speaking to buyers out in the field, they too are a little bit uh, indecisive about where the market is heading this year and happy to sit on the sidelines in many cases and just watch where it's going. And the early trend that we picked up, which is increased listing activity this year and decreased sales volumes, is still the case now as we turn the corner for the middle of February. 
Well, moving on slightly and talking of volumes, uh, at the open homes I conducted over the weekend in the rental space, I noticed that there is still some activity, but it didn't feel quite as hot as the other weeks in the year. Uh, have you any indications or any thoughts on whether this might be a bit of a turning of the tide in the rental market and potentially indicate a, a period of plateau or, or slowing down in the crisis that we've talked about? Or is this just, you know, potentially in a, a, an erroneous weekend in an otherwise crazy, uh, crazy market? Oh, it's the peak letting season coming to an end, Kieran. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Uh, Mid-February mid onwards, those that were looking to rehouse themselves for the new, new year have tended to do so. So with the rental market, if we've got a lease that's due to expire or does expire in December, for example, and the tenant wants to renew, we strongly encourage the landlord to offer a, new, a lease renewal that ends in the following January. We don't like leases ending in December because the landlord can end up with a vacant investment property over Christmas, which is the last time of year that you want an, uh, an investment property empty uh, drawing cash from your savings account to pay, to pay the bills. But what's really important coming out of, out of Christmas from there is that you have it released by the end of January, early February, because there is a flurry of leasing activity up until about mid-February. And then from mid-February to late March, it continues to cool. And from about April through to August can be a very challenging time to find a tenant because for whatever reason, the Sydney rental market does not perform anywhere near as strongly during winter as what it does at the beginning of the calendar year. Yeah, very likely uh, tied to things like school and, and university years, I might imagine, uh, given that they're very you know, calendar-based in nature. If you are a tenant out there in the market looking, do you think it is a good time to try and find a property at the moment? As you say, that, that frenzy's kind of died off. Does that mean that there is also going to be less properties available on the market as we move into the next few months? Our vacancy rates are really, really low. And uh, here at Harris Partners, our vacancy rate is essentially zero, which I've never actually seen our vacancy rate so low. Landlords, to help them fight the cost of living, inflation, higher mortgage costs, are looking for rental increases. They're not overstating it. We're making market-based rental increases based on what else is available and what is fair for the respective property. And I believe in 98% of cases the tenants are agreeing to the, the the offer of a rental increase rather than moving out. So that means that a lot of stock is not coming to market and existing tenants are staying where they are. Yeah, that's really interesting. So would you say that in your time in real estate, uh, would this be a period where tenants are tending to stay still longer than they have been in the past? And and has that been the case since COVID? I mean, given the massive disruptions to, to everyone's lives oh, over would the past five years? It makes sense is that uh, as the rental market... Um, has risen strongly coming out of COVID. And keeping in mind, at the start of COVID, the rental market uh, dropped uh, a clean 10%. I had lunch with a real estate agent from the eastern suburbs today who was reliving what happened at the beginning of COVID. And he had in one day, he had 80 tenants walk sets of keys back in, 80 different tenants in one day and just hand the keys back over the counter and saying, I'm leaving Australia, have your rental property back. So the rental market across the board dropped 10%, but in some of those inner city areas, it dropped it dropped out to 20 25%. So the rebound in prices was not actually the rental market experiencing a rental crisis. 
It was just the market reverting to the mean. We have gone past that point now, as we all know, and we are in a fully-fledged rental crisis now that shows no signs of abating. There might be periods of consolidation, as there always is in any breakout. That'll probably come mid-year. But it makes sense that tenants are staying locked and loaded in leases and it's much cheaper and advisable to pay the rental increase than hire a removal truck and move down the road and get hit with the same rental increase uh, a few months later anyway. Yeah, tough time for everyone in the rental market, but certainly some good advice. Uh, I want to transition if we can, Peter. I watched a video the other day. I think it was on your Twitter feed, actually. Uh, the Nine News report talking about a young couple who had purchased off the plan uh, in a little, I say little, a development just southwest of Sydney. And they were... This was Wilton Green. At yeah. Wilton Green, yeah. And basically from, from, the, uh, from the news piece, the discussion was these guys had paid a pretty sizable chunk of money up front for a house and land package and some time later, a couple of years, almost three years now, uh, the land was still not registered and they're now being told that the company's collapsing and, in fact, the land may not be registered any time in the next three to four years. What can you tell me about this particular story and is this unique or is this something that you've seen before? Uh, I think um, in posting, reposting that particular story out, the first thing that grabbed me is that was Country Garden the second Chinese behemoth developer that's under financial pressure. And as we know, Evergrande has already imploded. And Evergrande imploded on Monday, January 29. And because we're recording this on Valentine's Day, February 14, people can think that, yes, a a massive Chinese developer with $320 billion in debts has imploded, both with Chinese domestic bondholders and international bondholders. It's imploded, but... That's just an event that happened a few weeks ago and it's, it's business as normal. Things like that take time to ripple through the system and watching that poor couple sort of outline their story as to what's happened in Western Sydney with Evergrande's main competitor, Country Garden, just highlighted to me very quickly that the risks that are coming out of China are, are, are not over. You can't have a behemoth to the tune of $320 billion dollars you know, implode and, and there not be a ripple effect or ramifications from that. So I think that's the first takeout. If you're a home buyer and you're looking at that and saying, what are the lessons here? I don't want to be critical of anyone that's purchased into Wilton Garden or any um, off-the-plan arrangement, but the reality is it was high on vision and it was dependent on the story, the economic story, staying good. And clearly the economic story for Country Garden and Evergrande and the Chinese market at large is not good now, like it was two years ago when they put their deposit down. So when there's a large gap between your signing of a contract and the delivery of that service, even if you're buying a car, let's cut across to cars, uh, you can sign a contract to buy a car coming next year, but it's still got to get here. And um, that's, I think, the other takeout of that is it was high on... It was high on vision but low on substance, unfortunately. I must say that the most interesting take for me from from the piece, other than what really is a tragic story for this young couple, was the fact that Country Garden or Risland is the, the company they were operating under in Australia, owned 90% of that development in Wilton Greens. And to me, 
you know, as someone who knows the area relatively well and ha- has actually looked at that estate, you know, driving past before, I would never have once considered that, in fact, that was a Chinese state-owned and managed development. I just assumed it was, you know, Australian developers building Australian land holdings. Uh, and I just find it really interesting that that we are in some way so beholden to the financial success of a company thousands of kilometres away who really has has no real footprint here in Australia other than these developments that, you know, they're taking money up front to try and get off the ground in the long term. Well, I could tell you one thing, Multiplex, Land Lease, uh, Meriton, they don't have any housing developments in China you can put a deposit down. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to to sort of talk about with this piece, uh, actually, hold that. Now, really, really interesting, Peter. I think uh, I'd love to do an episode uh, sometime in the future where we actually step through some of the, the process involved in House and Land because I think it might be quite informative for someone to learn, you know, what is involved and what is land registration and, and, you know, utilities development and all the things that they may not consider when they sign on to what sounds like a great deal in the Southwest Corridor for, say, $700,000. Sounds too good at the time and, and may be that case. Uh, look, and I wouldn't even be critical to say that these people were hoodwinked and, you know, signed up for something that was too good to be true. Um, what a salesperson will always do in most instances is is tell you what their best case scenario is. And that's probably all the salesperson did in signing these people to the contract. But when you get a contract, you must remember that there's no such thing as a standard contract. And the most powerful time in any negotiation is before you sign the contract because the power in a negotiation rests with the person that's prepared to walk away. And I helped someone else um, negotiate an agency agreement for the sale of their investment property down the south coast. And he said, I'm really sorry to lean on you, but uh, this is your forte, not mine. Could you give me some guidance here? And it's like, no need to apologise. The time to ask for help from a professional when signing contracts is before you sign it. Because for every one person that's ever asked me or you for guidance on signing a real estate contract before they've signed it, we've had 10 people that have signed a contract and regretted it and brought it in and said, do you reckon you could get me out of this or what are my rights now? What are my options? So keep that in mind, whether it's buying a house and land, buying an off-the-plan apartment or listing your property on the market, the most powerful time in that negotiation is before you sign the paperwork. Yeah, exactly. As we move towards the close uh, tonight, Peter, I just wanted to get a sense of the week ahead. We've got CPI numbers coming out in a couple of weeks' time and then early next month, obviously, the RBA will meet again. What are your thoughts on uh, what what we might see in real estate this week and and do you think there'll be any shifts in in what we have seen? Uh, Look, broadly speaking, the US had a bad inflation number overnight. Uh, Markets didn't like that. They were looking for inflation to continue trending down and it actually increased. Hopefully that's uh, isolated to the US economy. Hopefully that's isolated to one reading. But it's not a great indicator and it does have markets a little bit jittery. We won't get our next CPI inflation number uh, until the 28th of February. So we won't quite get that in the next week. But that'll be a big a big number when it drops to see how we're tracking in that regard. The, the, the RBA are not meeting on the first Tuesday of every month anymore, as we know. So the next uh, three RBA meetings, because keeping in mind, the people are looking for a rate cut from here. So the next three times the RBA have an opportunity to cut interest rates or announce an interest rate cut is March 19, May 7 
and June 18. Uh, so they're, 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 that's mapping out what's in front of us for the RBA. I don't think you'll see a rate cut personally in any of those meetings, but if numbers are derailed from June 18 onwards, that's when the retail banks have suggested you could start possibly thinking about a, a rate cut at that point in time. So answering your question, coming back to the short term in the week ahead, I think we should all be looking at stock levels and how many auctions are postponed versus being pushed to auction on the day. If there's another 10 to 15% of auctions being uh, rescheduled because there's not enough buyer interest this weekend, all that means is the inevitability that pressures that are building up on the market is being pushed from February to March. That's the big play at the moment for mine. Yeah, really good insights, Peter. And as always, a, a really great episode. Uh, I, I always value our chats and I feel like I learn something every week and I hope that our listeners do as well. So thank you, uh, thank you, Pete, for, for chatting with us today. Pleasure, Kieran. Given it is the 14th today, a happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. Thanks for listening to Current Market Insights and we look forward to chatting with you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Current Market Insights podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate the podcast providing real estate insights you won't find anywhere else.